0: Good morning. There's something different about us when we come on a morning when it's foggy and rainy, and if you're visiting via live stream from somewhere other than broken Air, Oklahoma this morning, you know it's not a not what called a pretty day. Somebody said, I wish the sun was shining. Well it is, but we just can't see it. It's always shining. But today there's a little bit of blockage called fog. This is what James referred to in James chapter four and he said our life is like a vapor of fog. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. If you'll stay through, those who endure to lunch likely will see it go away, and you'll be able to drive home with clear vision. This morning, I want to recognize two or three real quickly, and then I really do have a message I want to give you from 1 John. Excuse me one second. We We have two people that I know of, maybe more, but we have two that I know celebrated pretty special anniversaries this weekend. Cecil and Jan, Janet Cornett, are you all here? Stand up real quickly. Cecil and Janet, right there. They are 50 years together this weekend. God bless you all. I had, God bless you all. I had a chance real quickly to see some of their pictures from their younger days. and. Boy, God bless y'all. You You've had a wonderful journey, a marvelous marriage, and you sure touched a lot of this. Cecil, as you know, helps us here at the church. And for all those chairs you set up, seats set up, tables set up, and all those things that are always right when you come in most of the time, Cecil helped make that happen. So we're very grateful, Cecil, for all you do for us. And then somewhere today, Grady and Frankie Brewer, would y'all stand real quickly? Where are they? Are they Are they in the room for Grady and Frankie? Maybe they're celebrating. Are they in the room? There they are. 56 years. Fifty. 50- Six years together. God bless you all. How faithful you've been and how faithful you are. Raised a wonderful family, tons of foster children and others. And just thank God for your life and your witness and your testimony. This morning, I want to direct your attention to 1 John I, I, I love this book because I love the man. I, I can't wait to get to heaven to meet him. I, I need to meet Peter because he and I are alike. I mean, he's really hot or really cold, either accurate or really off, and that's kind of been the story of my life. But I love John because John was steadfast, and John was that old son of thunder. That was his nickname, he and James. And yet, when Jesus got a hold of his heart, he never got over it. I hope that's true of you certainly is true of me. This morning we're going to talk about two words that John loves most, and that is love and assurance. No, You can know. You can know. A moment ago when Scott White baptized these two precious folks, the Garcias from across the world in Venezuela. God, can you imagine God picking up a couple and bringing them, bringing them from Venezuela to America to Broken Era just to get saved? You know God does that. The Bible says in the Roman Empire he moved the whole world for his senses to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. <laughs> it's in the book. I, I read that in there. And, and We were doing so good. I want to read this morning about prayer. Can we do that? First John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 to 15 in a minute. But just listen for a moment. We've been going through, I hope you've been participating in our first week of 40 days of prayer. This next week we're going to be praying for the preparation to seek out a search team for a person to succeed me in the next 24 months or so. And so when that happens, we want to have God's blessing. That's what we'll be praying about this week. If you've not participated yet, pick it up in the morning and get started. You can go there to fbcba.org and you'll find our prayer guide. I want you to listen to this. I have been driven about prayer. A man speaking about prayer. I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Anybody here? Maybe you didn't count yourself a prayer warrior, but when the, when the burden got so great it pressed you to your knees, you said, I, God, I have nowhere to go but you. Only you can help me. That's a good place to be. This man said, I've been driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all of that about me seemed insufficient for the day. You know who said that? A president pretty well-known named Abraham Lincoln. When the nation was divided, I think we're back. He said, the only place I could go to find solace and wisdom was heaven. One of our great missionaries in Baptist life was a man called Hudson Taylor. Here's what he said about prayer. The prayer power, now listen to this, this is an indictment. The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, did you hear that? If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and God's grace wrought in the places of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge found in Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. It was the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 that said, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. I think sometimes we just assume, well, since God knows me, he knows my needs, so why should I pray? Because he said so. (laughs) Did your daddy ever, when you questioned whether or not you had to do what he said, did he give the illustration? Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. That meant case is closed, no more argument. Why do we ask God? Because he said through James, in James chapter 4, verse 2, you have not because... No kidding, so, so can you imagine when we get to heaven and see all that might have been had we been faithful enough to ask or if we 'd ask according to his will or if we 'd ask for kingdom sized things from the bounty of the king of the kingdom? The Bible says we need to ask, and that 's god 's admonition we need to admonition we need to ask according to his will, but therein is the that 's the difficult part because in our flesh it 's hard to know his will it only We only know his will the more we walk with God because the closer we are to somebody, the more we know what they think. You have dear friends and you have acquaintances. And then you have one or two or three best friends. Your dear friends know you well. Your your acquaintances know you somewhat. But your best friends know your heart. And so when you walk closely with God who's truly your dearest friend, you not only know his will, you know his heart, you not only know his plan, but you know his person. And when you know the person, it's much easier to bend your will to his will because you say, I know he has what's best for me, even though I cannot understand this present trial. Sometimes we need to be reminded, not everybody prays with a pure heart, and I know that shocks you. Sometimes our motives are not pure, and sometimes our reasons for praying are not altogether noble. We sometimes use prayer trying to manipulate God like He's a heavenly rabbit's foot, and we can just rub it any time we want, or a, a genie's lamp, and say, "Now, God, I'm going to follow the formula, and you have to do what I say because I, I, I'm calling on you." Try that with your boss. Try, try that with your senator or your congressman. You, I voted for you. You have to do this. Just just write him a letter tomorrow and tell him. I know he'll be moved. So we stand in the face of the Almighty as if we're running the show and we don't pray with a pure motive. We we want to get what we want and we try to spiritualize what we want and make it the will of God. I was reminded of the man who's on the diet, on the diet. maybe I like this one because it reminds me of me. He's on a diet and yet every morning he'd stop by the donut shop and get, get him donuts and take the office some to share and some to graze on. And so one morning, one of his coworkers said, I don't understand you at all. You keep talking about wanting to lose weight and yet every morning you stop down there at the donut shop and bring us donuts and you eat as many as we do and you're on a diet. He said, the reason I bring donuts is the will of God. I'm gonna use this, so get ready. So the reason I bring donuts is the will of God. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I prayed God if you don't want me to eat donuts, then don't provide a parking place. But if you want me to eat donuts, provide a parking place right in front. And he said on the eighth trip around, sure enough, there was a parking place. <laughs> who answers, who, who prays that kind of prayer? Come on down right now. Join my fraternity. You reckon we ever try to manipulate God? The altar's open. Do you reckon we ever try to tell God what he ought to be doing? Oh my. Prayer's not really trying to persuade God. It's aligning my will with his will and my life with his his will for my life and my request with his name see in fact when we pray in Jesus name that's not an add-on I hear and I don't mean to be critical I really don't but I hear more and more people come into prayer and they just say amen no just stop and say amen well, well don't don't do that because in Jesus name is not a mantra it's the only access you've got we have no access to him but in Jesus name but secondly when you pray and you say Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. What we're saying is, we believe these requests are so kingdom focused, so kingdom worthy, so, so so God ordained. These are the very things Jesus put on our heart to pray and we're in agreement with your Holy Spirit and we believe Jesus is in agreement with these requests and he's our high priest and so we're coming to you in requests that we believe are kingdom blessed and God ordained and in the name of Jesus, your son and our high priest and savior, we bring These into your presence. That's not an add on. We have access to him in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. When we persist on our will, what we're really saying is, God, I I got a favor before I make this request. Would you please step down from your sovereignty? I I need about 10 minutes to be king of the universe because I got some things I want to get done, and you're kind of a problem. Would you just step down from your sovereignty and let me be sovereign for about 10 minutes? You say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You ever heard you pray? You ever heard me pray? Here's what I want. Wait a minute, who's Lord? Who's King of the Kings? Who's Lord of all Lords? Who's the sovereign of the universe? And so when I say I want what I want more than what you want, what I'm really saying is, I need you to step aside because really I know better. God help us. We need His power to overwhelm us. I'm sure this isn't true of you, but it sure is true of me from time to time. I get so busy, I, I, I get that attitude. I, I, I can handle this. Don't, don't, I, don't, I, I don't need your help. I, I got, I've been here before, I, I could do this. If you notice when we do things in our strength, how pitiful it is, and when we do things in His, how odd we are. 1997, October, a man named David Huxley Wanted to prove how strong he was. See, he and he was. I mean, he's a mighty man, great. I'm sure he was still now. He was in 97, and to show his strength, he got a 15 yard steel cable. That in itself ought to give you a clue what he's getting ready to do. He took a steel cable, got it tied around his neck, one of those binders that they bolt, bolt that thing down, and the other end of it was to the front front wheels of a 747. And here was his goal. He said, I'm going to pull that baby 100 yards and see how fast I can pull it. Weighed 187 tons. Here's David Huxley on the airport runway. (laughs) Uh, And here's a big 747 and 15 yards of steel cable. And they said, okay, David, go. Can you imagine? I have a hard time with 10 pounds of potatoes. Do you? Boy, those feet planted, and every muscle and sinew pulling. And here he goes—the first stagger step, and the second, and in a minute and twenty-two seconds, he pulled that baby a hundred yards. Just say, hoo And then they cut on the engine. And how much quicker did he make the second hundred yards as they drug him under the plane? You know how you and I look when we do things in our own strength. I got this, Lord. Ugh. No, no, no! I got it! I got it! No, 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 no! Don't intervene! He said, "My power, my power has no boundary or no limit. I can, you can do all things through me if you just ask. What I say, you have not because you ask not. Isn't that embarrassing?" So how do we know if we are supposed to pray according to the will of God? Let's see what John said in First John because that's really a text. Let's see what he said here. First John chapter five. Let's begin in verse thirteen because he's really interested in us having confidence in our faith. First John chapter five verse thirteen. I've written these things to you, meaning the gospel and this letter. I've written the things I've written. I wrote for one purpose. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know you have eternal life. So this premise, remember chapters and verses came later. So this is one continuous thought. He said, first of all, I want you to know that you have life because you know Jesus. You know the name of the Son of God and believe in him so that you know you have life. In verse 14, now this is the confidence. So on the one hand, he says, save, save, and all this thing a blessed assurance. If you know the son of God and believe in him, you're saved. But then he says, now this is the assurance. This is the confidence that we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, now there's the, there's the, there's the phrase that trips us up. Well, really too, cause we don't always ask. So number one, you got to ask. It says whenever we ask, so we're commanded or encouraged to ask God for things. Whenever we ask anything and here it is, according to his will, He hears us. And then verse 15, here's that knowledge again, confidence. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked him for. So the key phrase must be according to his will. I pulled up a study on a website called Bible.org, and it's got a study on the will of God. It lists six aspects of the will of God. I'm going to hit five of them because to me, six, and one of the others sound redundant. But, But first of all, it says there's the decreed will of God. That's that will of God that will not change. Thus saith the Lord, and it's absolutely in stone. It's in stone forever, and he does not change. That absolute will of God is I'll save all who believe in the name of Jesus Uh, the absolute truth is all who do not are going to spend forever without God that does not change that's God's decreed will Secondly, there's what we call God's perceptive will. That means God has decreed things, but there's things he's given us that are precepts and principles and truths in his word. And when we see those precepts and truths, we begin to understand this is God's will for me. I perceive and understand because I've studied his scripture. Here's what God would have me do. They're the form of principles given to us through which we understand who God is and what he wants. So there's the the, the decreed will and then the perceptive will, and then there's the preferential will, meaning here's what I delight in doing and here's what breaks my heart, but I'm going to do them. What does that mean? What does God delight in? Honoring the faith of the faithful, raising up the children of God who are, uh, who, who give him glory, be, being, be, being uh, present to give power, those who are going to glorify his name in what they do for the kingdom. He delights in that. What does God hate to do? Punish what does God hate to do? Cast sinners into hell. What does he hate to do? Drive men away from him. Why? I, my desire, he says, that none perish, but that all come to life. So he finds no delight in the death of the wicked. He finds joy in the salvation of the saints. He delights in those who do his will. Fourth, there's not of the preferential will and the perceptive will and the creed will, but fourth, there's what we might call God's permissive will. You say, what does that mean? You mean God allows things? He really doesn't. Want to happen, yes, because the greater good we cannot see now, and he glorifies in the future. Can I remind you of Joseph? He was sold by his brothers. Does that sound like something God designed for a family? Now, here's what I want you to do. I did it for Joseph, so why don't you all pick one of your siblings and ship them off? That's God's will. You say, no, it's in Scripture. must be true. No. God allowed it because he had to get Joseph down to Egypt why because a great famine was coming and he wanted to take care of his people and he wanted to take care of the nations and so he took a boy as a teenager and put him in Egypt by the way he was 17 when Potiphar's wife said I want you we've heard this week about sexual innuendo and sexual accusations and sexual charges can I remind you Joseph got charged too And boy, the rumors were strong. It was the chief of the secret service of Pharaoh, Potiphar. He was over all, you're talking about government position. He was over all the secret service to guard Potiphar. And that little Jew tried to take his wife. Why did Potiphar not have him killed? It's going to be, now now buckle up. This gets rough right in here. Why, Why did he not have that young Jewish boy killed? He knew the character of his wife. Do you think that's her first time to accuse somebody? Do you think that's her first time to malign somebody's character? Do you think what happened this week in the Senate is the first time or last time that's ever going to happen? To people coming up in a divided nation for positions of leadership? Was it God's will that he be charged with adultery and sent to prison? It was his permissive will and was it God's will for him one day to interpret a dream to get out is God's permissive will but God's ultimate will was to put him as number two under Pharaoh so that all the grain bins could be filled as they had seven good years and all the grain bins could feed all of Egypt and most of all the people of God in seven lean years because God's permissive will said I get one boy from out there tending sheep to the throne room of Pharaoh of Egypt God's permissive will and then we have God's, God's directive will, and that is when he has something very special for each of us. I remember Blackaby, Henry Blackaby, who wrote the book Experience of God. He said, don't pray what is God's will for me. Pray what is God's will and then get in on it. But, but, but there are times in life when you say, God, I, I really need to know what you'd have me do. And in his directive will, I think God puts people, and I believe he puts passages of scripture, and I put, believe he gives us the power of the spirit to discern. This is God's will of me right now, and that's not in violation of his directive will, or his uh, or his permanent will, or his perceptive will, or his decreed will. It means he's given you a insight in what he wants you to do. So, confident, prayer as we have confidence when we come in his name. If indeed we come because we know his will. First John chapter five says, "These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have life." And we know if he hears us, whatever we ask, we're going to get what we ask. We pray according to his will. The Bible says Paul would write in Philippians 4, let your requests be made known to God. John fifteen seven, if you remain in me, oh my. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. When one prays according to the will of God, it means we know him well. It means our prayers to him reflect his holiness and his power. See, what God really wants to do is work through us to achieve his purposes. He delights in having a people who will reflect his glory, a people who will live out his word, a people who will be salt. And I, I, I want to just say, if you and I continue to do what God says, what you saw this week on the Senate hearing is what's going to be about you if you're not raptured out. Because you'll be charged by a secular world. You, Christian, just check in check in North Korea, see how we're treated. Check in the Sudan, see, see how we're treated. Check in Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan. I had an interview this week with a sweet young, two young ladies and a cameraman from a college. They want to talk about church. And one of them said, one of them asked the obvious question, if, if indeed what you're teaching is so, why, why is there such resistance and why, why do you have an image, not me, but why does the church have the image of hating people like, like people do have abortions or people are gay or why, why do you all have that impression and why are you so hated? Doesn't that bother you? I said, we've always been hated. They look funny. I said, listen, you know the only difference between today and the prophets of the Old Testament? 3,000 years. What did they do the prophets? Stone them saw, them, saw them asunder, cast, I believe, if, did I read, weren't there boys, wasn't there a guy thrown in the lion's den back there somewhere? Didn't I read that? It's in some book I read. How do you think you're going to be treated? Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me. <laughs> Welcome home. So Scripture says when we pray, we pray according to the will of God. And when we pray according to the will of God, it means we reflect His holiness. Why did He bless Abraham? The Bible says so Abraham could bless the nations. He gives us the blessings so the blessings throw, flow through us. Well, real quickly, if indeed we got to pray according to His will, then secondly, we need to pray in ways that please Him so He hears us. Now this is a bad illustration, best one I got. You love your children and you love your grands, but sometimes the way they ask, you say, whoa, I'm not, I won't, whoa, I'm not answering that one." Illustration. May I please have a cookie? Well, unless it's supper time or just absolutely here, or better yet, here's the jar. You can, you may have two, three. Do I hear four? So, so, so what you offer is based on their spirit, you honor their request. Option two, I want a cookie and I want it right now. Oh, sure, have the whole jar, right? Why are y'all looking perplexed? Because the manner in which I ask was not fitting with the dignity of the authority from which I'm wrecking the request. If I come before God in something less than holiness and righteousness to manipulate him to bend to my will, I totally misunderstand who he is. But if I come in reverence of who he is and pray in a way that's pleasing to him, he hears me and answers. Very quickly now, I don't know if you want to write in your Bible or not, but if so, I'm going to give you four or five. Actually, I think there are eight, and I'm going to move through them quickly because this is really a teaching message. This isn't one where we tell a parable and get the, get the parallel. What are the biblical precepts? What are the precepts that let me know I really am, best I know, praying according to the will of God? Number one, prayer should always be anchored. Prayer should always be anchored in the Word of God. What what does that mean? Prayer should always be anchored in the Word of God. If he's done it before, then we can pray and ask him to do it again. He may say no this time. How many of you know somebody God healed and somebody that's prayed the prayer and God took them home? So he's not honor-bound because his perfect will is to honor himself in both situations. I've known people that were healed and said, I've spent the rest of my life glorifying God. I've known people that died and their family said, do you know he was faithful to the end?" And the one thing he said to us is, let me tell you the things God taught me through this time of difficulty. Was God glorified in both? Yes. Did he say yes in the same way to both? No. So, so when we pray, we pray according to the Word of God. John 15, listen to this. If you remain in me... And my words remain in you. You can ask whatever you wish. It'll be given. If our hearts don't condemn us, he said in John chapter 3, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. I like that word confidence in Greek. You know what it means? Freedom of speech. Now, I may not get this right because I was in the military, but it's something like this. So if it's not right, just smile and say, bless his heart, he doesn't know better. But, but in military... I understand that if you're a lower-ranking officer and you're standing before a higher-ranking officer and something he said, you feel like he just doesn't have all the truth or all the story, you have the right to ask this question. And I may not say it right, but I think this is a true statement. You can say, sir, may I have permission to speak? What have you just done? I recognize you can tell me no. Do you recognize that when you go to a sovereign I recognize you're you're higher than me. Do you recognize that when you pray? I I recognize that you are the ones gonna make the decision. Do you recognize that when you pray? And I recognize you can deny my request and say, No, you may not speak. But I have so much to say. I know what's on your heart. So even in the military, before you speak your mind, you have to ask permission before we go into his presence. Do we pause long enough to stop and think who we're talking to my daddy when i'd get a real sharp tongue and i was capable my daddy would stop me and say wait just a minute son do you know who you're talking to (laughs) he wasn't wondering if i had amnesia he said do you want to live tonight or you'd like to die right now (laughs) it was instant conviction do you know who you're talking to you pause long enough before you enter his presence to realize I'm getting ready to talk to the sovereign God of the ages. Maybe I ought to collect my thoughts and gather my wits about me and be very sure how I want to enter his presence. So, so second principle is we, we have to be in a right relationship with God and our fellow man. John chapter 9, you remember the pool of Siloam where Jesus spit in the ground, made mud, and put on the man's eyes, told him, to Go wash. I think it's interesting. Following the healing, there was all kinds of questions, and even, even following his healing, there's a John chapter nine verse thirty one makes this statement: We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now, hear me, that please, I don't. I, again, I'm, I'm capable of being ugly. I'm just telling what God said. God, God doesn't listen to prayers of sinners. You say, well, surely He does. There's one He'll hear. What is it, Father? I know I'm a sinner. And I want to ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me eternal life because he paid a penalty too great for me and one he didn't know. And I believe he was buried to experience death of me. And I believe by the power of God he was raised from the dead to give me eternal life. And today I put my trust in you to save my soul forevermore. That's a prayer he'll hear from a sinner. But what other prayers does he hear? None anymore than when a child on our street says, "Uh, Nick, would you do this for me? I'd like to start living at your house and wearing your clothes and uh, uh, wearing clothes that you buy for me. And and I want you to buy me a bed and a pillow. I'd say, you need to go talk to your mama. You've confused me with somebody. Scripture says we have to be in accord with God and with our fellow man, why are our prayers often not heard? Because we're living in flagrant sin with no sense of shame. Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. He will not hear you. Thirdly, principle of prayers, we must pray without doubt. Isn't that hard? Sometimes I've heard other groups of Baptists, say, you, you Baptists, throw that if it's in your will, if it's your will, you throw that in there so that you don't have to really believe. No, wrong again. I may not fully discern the will of God, and so when I pray, I don't want to pray in pomposity that I understand the full mind of God. I pray, Lord, best I know, this is what you prompted me to pray in this moment for this situation, but even the Son of God prayed, not my will but thine be done. Was he trying to show doubt or affirmation of the power of the Almighty? When we pray, we have to pray without doubting. James chapter 1 verse 6, When you ask, you have to believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything. Anybody here want to give a testimony that your prayer life is in shambles? That person should not expect to get anything because that person's double-minded and unstable in everything they do forth very quickly, when we pray, we have to pray in agreement with God's will. Matthew chapter 18. I tell you, the two of you on earth, Matthew 18:19. If two of you on earth agree about anything, <laughs> why? That that's a strange verse. If two if two of you agree on anything, you ever tried to get two Baptists together to agree? Well, one of you has. I can tell that. I heard the laughter. So, see, if, if you tra- if you if we. Can I start over? In the, book of, in the book of Acts, even Dr. Luke was shocked. In Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, he was shocked. He said, You won't believe this. But those disciples on the morning of Pentecost were all together in one place and they were in one accord. Do, do you not hear the, <gasps> of that? That bunch of birds had fussed about everything, groaned about everything, told Jesus what he ought to do. Peter said, You ought not to be a dying Messiah. Get behind me, Satan. James, is like, we want to sit on the right and left hand. Not mine to give. Thomas in the resurrection, I don't even believe he's alive. Don't give me that. Do you know those birds in 40 days of prayer, 10, uh, 40 days of Jesus appearing after the resurrection, and 10 days of prayer? Suddenly they were in one accord. It took them 50 days. We're only going to pray 40, but I'm praying for a miracle. The Bible says when we pray, we have to be in one. Of course, it says if any of you, if two of you agree. So God's expectation is not huge. He said, I'd spare Sodom if there were ten righteous. If two of you would agree on earth about anything they ask for, it'll be done by my Father. For where two or three gather, I'm with you. Verse five, uh, number five principle, very quickly, we have to pray with the right motives. This is painful. We have to pray with the right motives. The book of James says, you desire to have, but you don't get it. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive it because you ask with a wrong motive. What's the motive, James, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures? Years ago, when health and wealth is it, was at its peak, the question went out, would Jesus wear a Rolex? Is that even worthy of asking? For a man who said, I don't have, says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. I don't even have a place to lay down my head. Would Jesus wear a Rolex? That almost sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? When you pray, you have to pray with the right motive. That means our prayers are for things that too often are for things that are temporal. What, when that happens, we have no interest in God's future glory or His eternal, his eternal will. And then I've already talked about we have to pray when we pray in Jesus' name. John 14, whatever you ask in my name. John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you. Uh, So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, in that day you will ask in my name. And over and over and over. And then we have to pray in faith, believing. Matthew 21 says, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask. If you believe, we have to pray believing. And then very quickly, Scripture says when we pray... We have to believe that things, the things we're asking are things that are on God's heart, and he really wants them done. I hurt. The older I get, the more I hurt because the more I'm aware of some of you have been your pastor now for 32 years next Sunday. It's almost easier to be a new pastor because when people hurt, you're concerned for them, but you're not broken because you don't know them well. But when you're my age and I'm just a little older, you've made the journey with me, and many of you have come in along the journey, and you're so faithful and you love the Lord, and I know your heart. When you hurt, I hurt. And when you hurt badly, I hurt badly. And I, I've had all those lectures. You need to leave that stuff, get it off your mind. I, I understand the principle. I, I hurt when people are going through valleys that are so deep, and we pray, and yet it seems the valley is still there. This week, most of you know that Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham, received very severe news in her mid-70s. She had gone in for breast cancer, and seemed like that had been done, the surgery went well, and the surgeon was pleased with the surgery, but when he did the doctor review if you've ever been in for surgery, you know you have to see the doctor afterwards before they discharge you, and they tell you all the good, bad and the ugly. And Dr. essence said, Ann, you have the presence of cancer in your lymph system. And she said I didn't have to go further hearing him, I knew that would change everything. And I want to write, write, read to you what she wrote in her, in her blog. A trace of cancer was found in the lymph nodes, which alters the follow-up treatment significantly, and Graham Lott's daughter, Billy Graham. Beginning October the 18th, I'll begin 18 weeks of chemotherapy and additional treatment stretching out over the next 12 months. The adventurous journey through the valley of the shadow will, no longer, will, will be longer than anticipated, but, capital letters, but I'm still confident that the shepherd will walk with me every step of the way until he sees me safely through I'm confident that the heavenly gardener, remember, where the the branches. I'm confident the heavenly gardener knows exactly what he's doing. I'm more expected than ever of bearing much eternal fruit for his glory. There's one, one devotional, that is, let me start over. There's one devotional thought that's been sent to me quite, by quite a few of you. It's entitled, What Cancer Can't Do. It then lists about a dozen things. It's a great list, and I was encouraged when I read it, but I wanted to turn it around. Although I've only known about my cancer for a little over a month, and in no way does that qualify me as an expert for some of you that walked with cancer for years. In just this short time, I've experienced some things already, and I'm expecting to experience more things, more things that cancer can do. I want to share with you some of that list, and you can feel free to add to the list, she wrote. One month into diagnosed with cancer in our limb system, she said, here's what cancer can do. It can enrich love. It can refocus hope. It can strengthen faith. Cancer can deepen prayer and command peace. Cancer can bolster confidence and increase endurance. Cancer can multiply friendships and enhance memories. Wow. Cancer can open doors and realign priorities. Cancer can grow courage and create empathy. Cancer can tenderize compassion and develop character. After all, cancer can be a blessing in disguise. Cancer can be the preliminary to bearing much fruit eternally. Cancer can be a display case for the glory of God. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything in his name believing, he'll hear us. And if he hears us, he will give us what we pray for. Somebody here need Jesus as your Savior? He'd hear you if you'd ask. Somebody here live with guilt that just will not go away. Have you, would you, can you this morning really say, I'm going to put a stake down and an altar and say, You are not Satan, you are not beating me up with that anymore. Anybody here, anybody here at a valley that you say, this is the deepest one I've ever been asked to cross? Pastor, I'm afraid I would be too. But there's somebody here can give you courage and help and hope and strength because here's what he said, even in the valley. Yea, though I walk through, not camp there, not dwell there, though I walk through the valley, even of the shadow where every object creates fear because behind it could be a bear or a wolf that would dismember me. Yea, though I walk through a valley where behind every shadow is the potential of death, I'm not afraid because the God of the grazing is the God of the valley and the God of the deep water is the God of the valley. and the God of the mountaintop just led me off of that one through this valley on my way to the next one. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'm not afraid. You're with me. Is there anything better than that? No. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray.